Hey friends and welcome to From the Middle. I'm Melissa and I'm here with Sam. Hello. And Chelsea. Hi. And today we are honored to have with us best-selling author, speaker, nationally award-winning teacher, co-founder of the Ron Clark Academy. I could say about a hundred other things that she is. <laughs> Kim, she's also my friend, by yes. the way. Kim Bearden <laughs> is my with most us. important title. I'm <laughs> Melissa's right. friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging that. That's I really true. appreciate that. True. Yes. She's also Chelsea's friend. That's yes. right. And Absolutely. Sam's now. But and now Sam's right. friend. Too. That's right. Yes. Kim, thank you for doing this. Oh, I'm excited. Oh, my gosh. We are so excited. We are so excited to be here. We're actually at the Ron Clark Academy. Kim had us come down, and she showed us all around, and it's just the coolest place ever. Oh, thank you. We oh, geeking out. <laughs> Literally, since we pulled in the, the parking lot, and I could see the clock outside and the dragon and I'm kind of in Harry Potter heaven. Yeah, that's definitely there's some in Harry Potter inspiration in this building. <laughs> it's just a very magical place, and, and that's intentional because we want kids to have a place where they just can't wait to walk in the building every day. Yes, it's so cool. We have so many things to ask you about okay. and talk to you about. So why don't we start with the Ron Clark stuff? Okay. So can, like, for people, because I think most educators know who you guys are and know what you do, but for the people that don't know, can you give you us... You need the elevator speech of quick, what the Ron yes, Clark Academy yes. can you is. Give okay. Give us a quick, so. <laughs> a quick one. So Ron Clark and I met in the year 2000, right around, you know, not long uh, before I met you, Melissa, and you, Chelsea, but we met in, in the year 2000. We were both Disney Teachers of the Year. At the time, I was at Mount Bethel with Chelsea and Melissa. Um, but during that time, um, we just hit it off, and he looked at me one day and he said, you know what, you and I should start a school together one day. And I said, sure, Ron, because teachers often say things like that. You know, if I had my own school, <laughs> right, this would right, be what I would right. do. And actually, I, I misspoke. I was actually at Dodgen Middle School in Cobb County, and so we talked about it for several years. And then when I was at Mount Bethel um, with Chelsea and Melissa, that's when the idea really started to take root. Like, I'm serious about this. Ron wrote a book called The Essential uh, 55, and some educators out there may have read that book. And it was a rule about discipline, manners, respect, how you create an environment and the culture of your school. And the book was not doing so well when it first came out. It was ranked like 140,000th on Amazon. <laughs> but um, Oprah had had the Disney teachers on her show, and she was very taken by Ron, how um, he had taught in rural North Carolina, and then he moved to Harlem, was having tremendous success there. And so during the commercial break, she said, you know, you really should write a book. And that's when he wrote the book. And so he sent her a copy of the book when it came out, and she remembered him, loved it, had him back on the show, and said, America, go out and buy this book. <laughs> and an hour after the uh, show, it was number two in the nation, right behind Harry Potter. And so <laughs> he was in Harlem at the time. He called me up, and he said, Kim, I'm serious about this. I want to take the funds from this book, and I want to put it in a foundation, and I want us to start a school. Come to Harlem. And I said, you know, my family's here in Atlanta. I think this is the place to start the school. Please come to Atlanta. And I won because the school's here. And so <laughs> he came to Atlanta. We looked at 50 sites all over. We came upon this dilapidated 100-year-old factory I saw in the community. At the time, it was the second highest rated crime zone area of Atlanta. And we got out of the car. The real estate agent said, this is no place for a school. And we looked at each other and we said, you know what? It's perfect because we wanted to be in a place where not only would we uplift students, but we would uplift a community as well. Mm -hmm. And so that was 13 years ago. This is our 13th year in operation. But since that time, uh, what makes our school, I think, most distinctive, a couple of things. One is how we teach here. It, it, we just take best practices that we learn from teachers all over the country. But we use lots of movement, lots of music, lots of magic. And, and, and it's a very interactive place, but also a very academically rigorous school. 
But what we want to do is affect as many children globally as we can. And not every child can come to school here every day. And so we had this idea. Um, for years, both he and I would travel around and do teacher professional development. We were trainers. And in the world of education, you know, when you get your professional development training, usually you're sitting in a media center or you're sitting in a conference and you, you're told what it should look like. But nowhere can you actually watch it happening. And so we said, what if we got a school where we got the best teachers we could find, we put them all in one building, and we let them sit and watch us teach? Not because we're perfect, because there's no such thing as a perfect teacher, but because all teachers, we benefit when we watch each other. You know, anytime I watch another teacher, I leave her classroom or his classroom better than when I walked in. And so we thought that was a good idea. Um, we had no idea just how much that would take on. But th as I said, this is our 13th year. We've had over 75,000 educators that have come to what is now this uh, warehouse in South Atlanta that has now been completely transformed. Um, and so we have this year, we have about 41 days where educators come here from all over the country um, to sit in our classrooms, watch us teach, and also receive workshop training. That was a little bit longer than an elevator speech, sorry, but that <laughs> might, might give people the idea of who we are and what we do. That's okay. I think that is unbelievable. When you think about 75,000 educators going back into their classrooms and then all the students that their lives right. impact. I mean, the, 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 the measure of the impact that you guys have had on the world literally is impossible mm -hmm. to measure. Well, it's, that's it's a beautiful unbelievable thing to, say. to think about. Well, that's a beautiful thing you say. That, that was the whole goal. People often say, well, why don't you just start Ron Clark Academies everywhere? And we're like, well, we don't need to start more schools. There are great schools everywhere. Well, the greatest way you can have an impact upon a student is the impact upon the teacher. Well, of course, there's other factors, too, like mm -hmm. that child's home life and things like that, that that we try to pour into our students and, and support there. But, you know, the single greatest factor, they say, is the teacher in front of that classroom. So if we are able to provide support and education and training and development for teachers, then exponentially we can have the widest reach possible. So, yeah, you think about how many students that teacher teaches each year, and then you multiply that by the number of years they're in the classroom – you know, mathematically, it could be in the millions of students who have been affected by teachers who have come here. And so that's something that, that was the, the model from the very beginning. That was always the intention, that we would invite teachers and try to provide them with the tools that they need, that they're looking for, to help them be more successful with their students. How difficult is it for a child in Atlanta to apply and come here? So that's one of those things that does keep me up at night. So we are, first of all, let me explain. We are a private school, but we're not like most private schools in terms of admissions. A lot of times, you know, private schools, there is a certain admission criteria as far as academic um, excellence or perhaps they cater to a certain kind of student. Our school, we're very intentional about building classes that represent all different types of learners because when educators come here, they want to see a classroom, mm -hmm. like most of them have, all different types of learners. Okay. So for every class, um, we have anywhere from 30 to 34 kids in a class. Um, and we teach large class sizes also because teachers will often say that that's a, a, a huge challenge for teachers as well. Um, about a third of our kids come to us who were doing pretty well. A small percentage of those would have been labeled as gifted before they come here. A third were in the middle, and a third had not ever had academic success before. And then no matter where they fall academically, a third of our kids might have had some type of behavior issues, um, some of it anger issues, you know, fights, but a lot of it maybe just be social, emotional, that kind of mm -hmm. issues well. Um, and so we have kids of all different academic abilities. Um, and some of our students, um, their families do very well financially, but about 75% of our students, their families come from low wealth situations as well. And so we created these classrooms. And so we do have hundreds of kids who apply to come here. Um, of those, we only take a class each year because we are this tiny little warehouse in Southeast Atlanta. And, and so, you know, we have students here in grades four through eight. So a lot more kids apply than are able to come here. That used to haunt me because I wanted every kid who wanted to come to school to be able to come here. <laughs> yeah. But I resolve it because the first part we talked about, well, maybe that child can't come here, but maybe if we can help that child's teacher, that child's going to have that same experience at his or her school. Great answer. I think it's, teaching is a, 
it's a challenge can be a challenging job it's the most rewarding um, position to be in but can be challenging and I just love how you everyone you Ron and all of your teachers um, can breathe life and inspiration into the life of a teacher you know just to be able to come here and see what y'all do and just leave inspired and I know y'all equip teachers with a bag of tricks but even just one thing for them to take back that changes you know the dynamic of their classroom and reaches a student is just an amazing gift that you give people. I think that's the sweetest. I love that you say breathe life into them because that really is an intentional. <laughs> Thank you for saying yeah. that. Oh, that's a beautiful way to phrase it. But yes, when teachers come here, you know, teachers, we all know, overworked, overwhelmed, sometimes underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And and we have our personal lives too. And sometimes we get broken and yet you're trying to help kids who yeah. are sometimes broken. And so um, it's, it's very overwhelming. Some teachers working several jobs to be able to make ends meet. And so some teachers do come here um, when they are at the point where they're like, I'm, I don't have anything left in me. Uh, mm-hmm. Give me something because I, I love kids. I want to be a good teacher, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm doing the very best I can, which may not be good enough. And so when they're here, yes, we provide tools and we provide strategies, but we do try to do that, breathe that life into them. Yeah. We try to inspire them. We try to make them aware of what we're talking about, exponential effect of their, their influence and, and how they can build relationships with students. You know, that's a big part of what we do here. It's, at the end of the day, it's, it's about relationships, mm-hmm. right? And, and how do they nurture those with their students? And how do they build those? And how do they build that climate in their school where every child feels seen? That's a very big, important thing, too. We just our last, we were just talking about this, about the importance of building relationships. So what are some of your strategies to build relationships? Some of the easiest things. So one thing is that we eat lunch with the kids. Now, I know that that's like the simplest thing. Now, I know some teachers are like, well, I won't even get to go to the bathroom if I eat lunch with my kids because that's the only break I get all day. So I understand that for some of you, that may not even be an op- the way your planning time mm-hmm. is set up. But if you have the option, maybe if you don't even do it every day, but go sit and eat lunch with kids. Eat with the kid who's the discipline problem because they're fun. At lunch. <laughs> um, but you get to know kids in a different way. You know, just talk to them about their day, their weekend, and things like that, and things that are important to them. Um, that's a really big game changer, and it's such a simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another thing that we just, you know, when a kid does tell me something like, oh, Miss Bearden, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I got my big basketball tournament Saturday. You know, I got so much in my head that if I don't go write that down, I might forget that. But what I'll do is I'll go and enter that in my phone, mm-hmm. and I'll say, you know, find Destin first thing Monday morning. Like, I'll, I'll put a little calendar monitor so it goes, Destin's basketball day, and go ask him. I will go, like, has anybody seen Destin? They know how his game went. How's your game? How did it go? Mm-hmm. Then in that, just that brief moment, that child feels like a million bucks because I remembered to follow up on something that he or she, it could even be as simple as, did you have a good time at your grandmama's? Did she make that pie you were hoping she yeah. made? You know, those kinds of things. And so even if you teach 150 kids, that's a lot to remember. But if you're writing it down, if you just take a moment when you go back and you leave that space, even just to put it in your phone, um, that child knows that, okay, she cared enough to follow back up. She cared enough to ask. There's something can I share with you that we do as a school that might be oh, helpful please. for teachers. So one of the things that we'll do is that each summer um, we do this. And for teachers that, because we teach our kids several years in a row. Um, mm-hmm. But if you only teach your kids for that one year, this might be something good, maybe a midpoint. This time of year might be a good time to do it. even. At, but what we do is we put all of our students' names on either a piece of paper. Like each child has its own piece of paper. We actually use their pictures, but a, pa- a name is fine. Um, and we spread them out around the room. 
And then every adult on our staff gets little sticker dots. So little red, yellow, and blue dots. And a red dot means I birthed this kid, basically. I mean, it's like that kid that you are so close to. You know everything about that child. You've watched that child's games. You know, that kid always comes to find you to tell you about his or her life. You know, that's the child you're so close to. A yellow, uh, uh, a blue dot is a kid that you feel close to. Um, you feel like you know some things that you can talk to them about beyond your curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, a yellow dot is a kid that you may not know much about, but you feel like you have a good rapport with that child. You feel like if that child needed something, that he or she would come to talk to you. And then you have no dots. You only have a limited number of dots because no matter how you know good your intentions are, the reality is we only have so much time and energy, yeah. whether we want to admit it or not. And so we put music on, and nobody says anything, and we go around and we place those dots. And then we take all the papers and we kind of rank them. And so we do it school-wide, but if you're a huge school, you may do that by grade level or team or something like that. And what we look at is we look to see who are the kids who have the least dots. Those are the kids that are in danger of slipping through the cracks. Yeah. Mm. And so we assign ourselves to those kids. Like to really go, you know, not surprisingly, a kid who has one red dot usually has five. Because those are those real outgoing kids are going to, mm-hmm. they seek out everybody, tell everybody their whole life story, right? But, and we still engage with them, of course. But those kids that are in danger of slipping through the cracks because nobody really knows that child then we have a few people say, you know what, I'm going to take that child. I'm going to get to know that child. I'm going to interact with that child. I'm going to check on that child every day. So it's just really, and even when we're not doing that exercise, what it does is now when I'm in class even, it just becomes a subconscious way of thinking, I don't know that child. That that would be a no-dot child for me. I need to step up my game with that child. You start to see kids differently. You start to notice you know, whom do I not know? I, I, who, you know, I need to really make sure I engage more with that child. I love that idea. That's very similar to what we heard a couple years ago when we went to AMLE. Melissa and I went to AMLE at Middle Level Educator Conference in Minneapolis, and I had just started at Mount Bethel. And there was a panel of eighth grade students, and they said that one of their teachers told them that they should know something about each of them as a student non-academic by Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And it stuck with us. I know. I didn't hear anything else in the whole rest of that session because I sat there going through every kid and thinking, do I? Do I know you well and do I know them well enough? And I could come up with two that I didn't think I did. And so I went back and like Monday, like sat down next to him and said, talk to me about your life. You know, it probably made it super weird, but, but it, it changed everything for me. It it was a complete perspective shift for Mm -hmm. me in that I realized I really have to focus on on getting to know them and building those relationships because not once in my life has a student ever come back and said thank you so much for teaching me about direct objects never not once maybe you have but no not ever (laughs) nobody cares about let's be real right i teach the fool out of those direct objects i just pound direct objects to death but at the end of the day nobody cares about them right but what they care about is how you make them feel they care about what you know about them, yeah, the relationship, the game. yes, mm-hmm. that you went to the, the basketball game and that you stood on the sidelines at the soccer game and went to the school play and went to the music performance and that you just were present and you showed up and you made an effort. And it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. You know, there are children in our country, sadly, who go through an entire school day and nobody ever really stops, looks them in the eyes, mm-hmm. like really looks them in the eyes, mm-hmm. not past them, but really in the eyes. And says, you know, hey, how you doing? How's it going today? And some of those kids go to home and they still don't get that. Right. And so it's a really easy way to feel like you're not seen. And all of us want to be seen, yeah. you know. And we want to feel validated. We want to know that people care about us. And it's just a really simple thing to do that we just get so busy that we, we stop. We forget to stop to take those moments. Yes. That leads into my next question. Okay. <laughs> how do you, especially you, because you're 
I'm assuming, based on what I can see on Twitter, you are incredibly busy. How, yes. how do you find balance in that? Not well. So if I'm going to be honest, I'm yeah. not going to say, oh, I'm just, I always, you know, it's interesting. I, I just finished writing a book, not, but in that I was talking about this whole idea of, you know, having it all. You know, we were always told you can have it all. I don't think you can have it mm -hmm. all. Nor should should you have it all? Because shouldn't if you do have it all, shouldn't you give some of it away? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, because what is it all? So my point is, is that um, I think that you have to prioritize in the moment. I don't think you can, like right now, if you were to go to my house, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. It's a mess. And if you were to walk in and have issue with that, I guess I'd be like. And I like a clean house. Like, I like to have everything the way it needs to be. But right now, I got laundry piled up and they, because I just got back from a trip with kids. And, and so, and that, I have to learn to be okay with that. Yeah. And so, um, I think that at different seasons in our life, too, you know, my, my daughter is now 30. She's older, um, and she's on her own. She's married. She's living her best life. I mean, and even though we're still very close, and my sons are now seniors in high school, it may look very different than when, you know, when my daughter was 8, everything had to be about my daughter. When my sons, you know, were 12, everything was about my sons. And so um, you have to grant yourself some grace. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most important thing. When you're trying to do so many things well, you're going to drop some plates. And when you drop some plates, you have to forgive yourself, grant yourself grace that you would grant to somebody else and say, I'm doing the best I can. And you got to learn to prioritize. I mean, what's the most important? Yeah. It's, it's the people. It's the relationships. And the other piece of that, what I really work hard on is to be fully present in the moment. Because like right now, yes, there's 5,000 things in the back of my head. But right now, the most important thing is y'all, right? So right now, I'm trying to be fully present in this and... And, and just put those aside for a minute. And so when you do that, at least the time that you're spending, even if it's, um, you know, not hours, but it's moments, those moments are more, more beneficial. Yeah. yeah, to make to make it count. To make it count. When you're there. Yeah. Make it. Yeah. yeah. Make the most of each moment. So um, I don't always get it right, but I, that's what I try to do. And then I've had to learn some tricks. So, like, the, you know, the things that are, like, the things everybody struggles with. So, like, I, I need to exercise every day. And, like, I was having the hardest time with that. And... And so I finally, this is what I do. So I finally, I, I, I go to exercise class at 5.30 every morning, which I always said I can't exercise in the morning, but now I've realized it's the only time I'm going to do it because yeah. I would go at like 7 o'clock at night and I'm on the treadmill and I might as well, <laughs> yeah. I'm like a turtle. You might I'm as like, well be on the couch. I, I mean, I'm just like, it's just like yeah. I'm going through the motions, but nothing's happened. I'm not breaking a sweat because I'm just so tired. But this is like a hack. What I had to learn to do is I sleep in my workout clothes. Like right before I go to bed, I put on my workout That's clothes. Genius. Isn't it genius? Because then when my alarm goes off, there's nothing more shameful than taking off your workout clothes and getting in the shower <laughs> if you didn't shower. go work out. Yeah. It's almost like the walk of shame that nobody sees, right? So like I'm like, I feel so guilty. And so it's the weirdest psychological thing. So when that alarm goes off, I'm like, I gotta go. And so I, I said I'll have to get up ten minutes before I have to get in the car. I brush my teeth, you know, I use the restroom and get in the car and I go and then I'm able to get there. And so it's just the silliest thing, but that was a game changer for me when I figured that out. Yeah. That's awesome. Kim, that's hilarious. Well, because, you know, think that. about how often are you digging through? Okay, i got to find some clean socks to wear to the gym. No, and I'm it takes a lot of effort when does. you're that tired to get dressed. It does. And so I'm like, I just roll out, literally roll out of bed. I put the shoes right beside my bed. I put my <laughs> shoes on and I, I still, I don't even brush my hair because who cares? I'm going to the gym. Nobody cares, right? right? And like, I just go straight in. But so there's things like that I've learned how to do that, that help me. Yeah. Well, I, in, I can just so relate to this. I just, there's so much to do and so little time. And, um, I don't know if you know, Jen Hatmaker, she wrote a book yeah. and one of her, um, books, um, 
was talking about the balance beam of life. And, and that, that illustration has just stuck with me about how there are, you know, a balance beam is only four inches wide and it's kind of how life is. You only have so much space. Some things are going to fit on the beam and some things are going Mm -hmm. to fall off and you have to decide what's on the beam today. Um, and the power of saying no, I tend to be, um, lean towards, you know, wanting or feeling like I need to do it all and the perfectionism and things like that. But the power of being able to say no um, has been super important for me to learn, you know, as I'm trying to juggle new career and family and kids Mm -hmm. and time and, you know, all those things to, you know, just make it all work. So, um, and you said a key word there. So I think there's what we would, I call the illusion of perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we feel like as women, Oh my goodness! Yes, everything in my life is my my children are perfect always, and my you know my oh you know my, my, my marriage is perfect, and my oh my goodness my house is perfect, and I, my birthday parties have to look like Pinterest. Pinterest, I think, is is the devil. Yes, <laughs> the devil. No, I mean it's wonderful because I go on Pinterest, but I'm saying you, you, if you want to feel inadequate, go look at somebody else's party on Pinterest because you'll never right. measure up to that, yes. right? You know, and they, we, I just think that. Um, and social media, I think, is mm-hmm. this way, too. Oh, so boy, is social it. media is a blessing and a curse. I mean, I, I, I like to use it to share things and to yeah. share joyful moments. Um, and, you know, and I tell people my, my thing, my, you know, what, where to follow me and things like that. And I, and I use it, you know, to help share stuff with education. But then on the downside of that, no matter who you are, if you're scrolling through that, you're going to find somebody that's going to make you feel like you're less than. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I... And now I can't remember, I, I'm not going to give credit to the person that I heard this from because I can't remember, but somebody said you're comparing your real life to somebody else's highlight reel. Exactly. And Complete is, with filters. And yep. it, yes, mm-hmm. complete with filters yes. to take away my wrinkles and my gray and hair. And they might have taken 30 pictures for that one little yes. shot of them looking so natural. <laughs> and and yeah. it is brutal what that yeah. will do to you if you let it. It will. And, and as, as classroom teachers, I think that you'll see, oh my gosh, how does she have time? That, that lesson and that lesson and that lesson. You know, and what I tell teachers is that I hope they realize that, honestly, you know, they could go all out and do some really cool stuff that looks amazing on Instagram, but the most significant part of your day is that moment when you're sitting there right with that child and you're working with that chid- child and one-on-one and looking in that child's eyes. I mean, that may not look sexy and, and great and over the top, but that's the best teaching you could possibly do. And so I think we have to learn to give ourselves a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I keep saying about granting ourselves grace. Because no matter who you are, there's always going to be somebody that's going to present better. And it's an illusion of perfectionism because I don't know anybody. And the older I get, you know, you start to know everybody has a story. Nobody has a perfect life. Everybody's had drama. Everybody's had pain. Everybody's had heartache. But we don't post that stuff. We post the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the other part about it, um, and like I said, I use social media all the time. It's really important, I think, sometimes we're so busy trying to worry about what we're going to post that we're really not that fully present part. Oh, yeah. You're, you're more worried about getting the picture with the kids on the beach than actually enjoying the kids on the beach, you know, mm-hmm. that's, and, and you got to make sure that you don't fall into that trap because the moments are what those kids are going to remember, not, not getting their pictures made in the moment. Right. And so those are those hard lessons, I think. And I think especially women, I feel like we're always trying to live up to that game. Yeah. 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 Well, I have a selfish question as a new administrator. Do you have advice for, I mean, I'm specifically talking about um, just being in a new environment, wanting to, you know, there are so many priorities. Right. Curriculum, you know, student wellness, um, staff, being able to support your staff and, you know, facilities and all the things. Like if you could give advice to any new administrator in their first year. Hmm. 
I would say focus on, well, you you have to have your finances straight because you get in trouble about that. You have to make sure it's right. right. But but the most important time, it's the relationship building. And it honestly, it's, if you can uplift those teachers, then you're going to give them the strength to uplift those kids. And so, um, that relationship building is key. And so, um, something really simple that's, but it's, it's a simple thing sometimes that that are the, the most helpful. So I pop in a lot just to my different staff members and, um, three questions you can ask. Okay. So first thing is when you pop in, just say, tell me something good. Now, because honestly, if you walk in, sometimes people just want to dump every single bad thing ever. Right. And, you know, and then we get on that train, how we try to yeah. one up each other. Oh, you had a bad day. Let me tell you about my day. Like, well, you know, there's, like, we, it's this vortex of negativity, right? We swirl down it. So if you t- say, tell me something good. And they may say that maybe look at you weird. Like, like what? Like about class or me or whatever you want to tell me about. But what it does is they may say, well, I was really excited that, you know, so-and-so, you know, did really great today on this lesson. I've been working with this child. And then that gives you a chance to say, that's wonderful. You know, you're, you're able to uplift them for something they did well. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's something personal that they want to share with you. But whatever it is, it reminds them that there's good. Yeah. And then you follow that up with, tell me what keeps you up at night. And then they'll tell you what keeps them up. If they, you know, sometimes they'll share. Sometimes they may not, you know, maybe a personal thing. But sometimes they'll say, well, you know, I worry about so-and-so. I worry about so-and-so. And so then the, the bigger idea is when you get your staff together, you say, you know, these are some of the good things that are happening. I'm able to give shout outs to you and you and you and you. But these are things that all of us are, it's the same things that keep us yeah. up at night. Yeah. Like as educators, especially the professional, it's the same stuff. Mm-hmm. You're worried about this kid. You're worried about your time. You're worried about how to get, you know. And so the question then becomes for everybody, well, what do we do collectively so that no one of us has to bear the weight of all this alone? And so that's where the whole dot thing came from. It was like, everybody's like, well, I'm worried about this kid. And I'm worried about this kid. And I'm worried about this kid. And I was like, we're all worried about 30 kids. We can't all, you know, but, but if we're all together, I can take on two and you take on two and you take right. on two. Then I sleep better at night because I know that everybody's doing that. Yeah. So I think that whole idea of having your staff understand how are we in this together? Yeah. How do we, you know, yes, we're about kids, but if we take care of each other first, it gives us the strength to be able to take care of those yeah. kids. It's like, you know, when the plane goes down, you got to put the oxygen mask on the adult first yep. before the child. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if Chelsea's heard anyone yeah. say that to her before. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we talk about that a lot. <laughs> yeah, you got to take that whole, yeah, first. that whole self-care thing. Well, uh-huh. so here's the other thing. It's that whole perfectionism thing. I heard a word that I really like even better than self-care, and that's soul care. Mm. Um, I like it that way. I don't know why. I thought self-care is like, you know, I think we're raised, oh, we have to be a martyr and I have to be, you know, dying to prove that I'm working hard and I'm taking care of everybody else but myself. And, and the word self-care just sounds so me, 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 you know, like, right? Even yeah. we keep hearing that. But I love the word soul care. Yeah. Because soul care means you, you've got you've to feed your soul to have anything else to feed to other people. And so I think that, um, I, I just like to use that word. There's nothing wrong with the word self-care, but... But I love the word soul care because I think that's really what what we ultimately need, right? And I think, you know, we're all in a profession where we tend to um, take on the burdens of our kids and our, you know, colleagues. And we just, you know, we've got such giving hearts and um, a love for our students and our classrooms. And so it's very easy to, uh, you know, carry the weight of the world. Mm -hmm. But I like the idea of being able to... um, share that burden with your peers and mm-hmm. that's be that support system for each other, whether it's on a student level or even like, I feel like our staff is very, very familial and just, it's a community beyond just being coworkers. And it's nice that we can, we even had like a colleague this morning, his wife was in a car accident mm. and you know, he was like, I'm going to turn around. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And we all jump in and we're there for each other, covering classes and things like that. And I think that's the, you know, the beauty of being a part of a community and working towards 
practices, you know, like you were talking about that help to bond, you know, together and Mm -hmm. be that support system, you know, in your home away from home, you Mm -hmm. know, so. Well, it it is in that whole idea of of community. I think the big thing is just, you got to talk about it as a team, say, we're here for each other. What does that sound like? What does that look like? You know, and you could even say, what are the things, there's so many things that we do for each other. Let's like give some examples, you know, and so how do we reassure each other that you're not alone? How do I reassure you with my words and actions that if you need me, you know, Chelsea, if I walk in, you got that look on your face. Like we all, you know, maybe, maybe you, ha- we all have a look. So maybe, you know, <laughs> Chelsea got that look. Melissa probably always recognizes the look, right? Cause she knows you so, but how, how can I be of help to you when mm-hmm. I see you in that state? You know, what, what words do you need to hear? You know, mm-hmm. what, what can I do to alleviate some of that from you to, so you're not feeling so heavy? I think those are the kind of conversations we have to be more willing to have with each other. I think we also have to be willing to accept it. Yeah. Because so many times someone will walk in and say, what can I do? And I said, nothing, I'm fine. You know, but, or let me help you. No, I'm good. I got it. You know what I, you mm-hmm. know. You got to be able to receive it. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to receive it. And so I think that that's something that takes practice as well. You have to learn how to say, yeah, okay, here's what I could use some help with right now. Mm-hmm. And that's not always... I think sometimes, I don't know if it's our pride or what, but I think sometimes we have to be perfect, but you don't. Sometimes that gets in the way. Yeah. Well, and the beautiful thing is when kids can witness that and when our students witness adults interacting in such a way and they can see, you know, that we're there for each other and we do, like, I think that they feed off of that. Mm -hmm. They they feed off of the interactions in between each other and they enjoy that. I I think that gives them a sense of um, comfort and security. It does. You know, we use the word family here, too. A lot of schools say, oh, this class is a family. Our school's a family. But I I always tell educators, now, if you're going to use that word, it's beautiful, but you better be willing to show them what a healthy family looks like. Mm -hmm. Right. For some kids, the word family doesn't really, sadly, have a whole lot of of weight, or maybe it's a painful word for them. And so I always say, you know, family is that, you know, I care about you. I got your back. And I don't want anybody else to mess with you. You know, it doesn't mean you have to be my best friend. It doesn't mean I have to always want to spend every waking second with you. But, but I'm here for you. And I think that when they see adults, especially kids who don't have healthy um, adult relationships in their lives, when they see adults helping each other and being compassionate and kind and receiving that, that's going to make them more healthy in their adult relationships too. That was good. <laughs> I know. Okay. Can I ask you about Ron? Sure. What have you learned from working with Ron? Oh my goodness, he's he's such an extraordinary human being. So a, a lot of things. Um, you know, honestly, this sounds so corny, but so much of my um, my present purpose actually he helped me find. I mean, the fact that this school I wouldn't have this school if if it weren't for him. Um, my going out and speaking to educators around the world that would be because he encouraged me to do it. Um, my books that I've written, he told me I needed to write these books. So he's been a constant source of cheerleading for me, um, which is is very very beautiful. Um, so he's always my biggest supporter. But I say that he also pushes me more than anybody in the world. So when we first started the school, even even to this day, like I'll go, Ron, I have the greatest idea, and I'll come up to him and say, Here's what we should do. We should do this, this, this. And he'll look at me sometimes and go, Hmm. No, you can do better. And it it used to make me crazy. I was like, no, that was like, he's like, nope, not your best idea. And he's like like that blunt. And I'm like, no. And it used to like crumble me. And now I'll just be like, I hate you. You know, I got to walk away. And 100% of the time he's right. He's right. Yeah. He's right. And I'm just like, oh, I hate that you're always right about that. But so I know um, he's truly on it. You know, we have very high expectations for our students, but he's really taught me the power of high expectations with support. Um, and he believes in me, but he's always like, mm, that's not your best idea. It can be better. 
And so this whole idea of a standard of excellence for our school, mm-hmm. for our students, but also for myself, yeah. he's really been very instrumental in that whole thing. Yeah. That's amazing. Chelsea, please don't start adopting that. You <laughs> I don't well, think you, you start with that. Not a, now you don't, yeah, I don't know if everybody could go. You have to understand the dynamic of our relationship. I, I, sure. I, I, so, I, I, like, we are, like, brother and sister, and yeah. we spend more waking hours together than, you know, do with our spouses. Like, I'm, I'm with yeah, him all yeah. the time. So. He could. He doesn't say that to other staff members no, the I'm way just, he says it to me. So she could go, probably say it to me and get away. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you watch him on Survivor? Oh my gosh! Yes, religiously. Yeah. Yes. So oh, we I. were totally I was did, obsessed. Did you watch? No. Melissa I and I were have, watching. I didn't have the time. Yes. Have so he was on Survivor 39. Now you have to know that he has been a Survivor fan since in- inception, and I was a huge Survivor fan. Do you remember when Jeff Probst came oh, to visit? Yes. I do. And I, I do. He came to my classroom. Yes. It was so exciting, and I did the little web the challenge. Web because I used to do these survivor challenges in my classroom because I was a big fan. And so um, when Ron, you know, auditioned, it's, it's quite a rigorous process to audition. And you have to, like, he had to go away for two weeks and be in a hotel, like, sequestered. And then you go through all these tests and psychological tests and physical tests and, you know, personality tests and all this kind of stuff. Um but when he had to actually go on the show, you're gone for six weeks. And when I say gone for six weeks, I take your phones, I take your computer. It really is real. You cannot communicate with anybody. And so, I mean, I still remember, like, right before he said, you know, he's texting me. He said, I'm giving away my phone now. You know, he said, it's about to happen. I'll talk to you in six weeks. You know, because even if you get voted off, you don't you get don't your get phone to, back. Because your yeah. family at home would know, oh, he got voted off. Or so um, very few people knew where he was. There's only, like, five of us who knew where he was. Not even five in the school. Like, five people in his life who could know where he was. So people here at school, they just knew he was away, but nobody knew where he was or why he was there. No way. So yes. you weren't a, so you I knew allowed where to tell, he was, I knew where you he weren't was. allowed to tell anybody? No, I wasn't allowed to tell anybody. <gasps> it was excruciating. Yeah, so he had to sign these disclosures. I'd have to, like, give away a lot of money if I, um, oh, I had a non-disclosure agreement. So. How did, um, how did you explain gone. that to your students? Well, we just said, we can't tell you where he is. He's gone for six weeks. You know, he'll be back. So two of the weeks, he only missed two weeks of school. Okay. It was the summer. Okay. okay. So that happened. He still, when he got back, could not tell anybody until like a month before the show aired. It's like in February or January. So he still, even when he got back, nobody knew where he had been that whole time until right before then the promos for the show came out and then we wow. could announce it. That's so exciting. That yeah. is so cool. I love yeah. I was a super fan. I for was that. It's really as hard too. as he, like it's really as hard as it looks. It's even harder than he looks. Like he said, you know, every one of those days with the camera, I can't remember if it was two or three days, like one episode is two or three days. I can't remember which one, but cameras everywhere, but every single thing you're doing, they're monitoring the whole time. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't even make it on the show because there's so much mm-hmm, stuff yeah. that happens. So mm-hmm. you, he wasn't even sure which things are going to make mm-hmm. it on there. But um, truly hard. I'm always like, why doesn't everybody look for just, why doesn't everybody just look for idols? Like, I just look for idols all day long. He said, you are starving. You are in the freezing cold. You're like, bro- like you're so exhausted. You get dizzy. You get lightheaded. You know, so it, I, I just feel like, just suck it up. Go look for those idols. You know, <laughs> the idols. He's like, you can't. He said, you go look for like 30 minutes and then you get woozy and you have to go lie down because it's so intensive and you really are that hungry and stuff. So, so are you, are you going to be on next? I have actually thought about trying to audition to go on. I couldn't do it till my boys were gone to college and all, yeah. but I, I've thought about it, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they would pick me, but I don't know. I, I don't think I could do it. I really, I'm really so don't. competitive. I think I could only do it because I'm competitive. Well, y- yes, that would have to be what be motivates competitive. and yeah. drives you. Yeah. The, the, not being able to talk to your family though. That, see, like my, like once my kids are gone to college, everything, I think I could handle it then. Yeah. And, and my husband, he'd be fine with it. But I, I can't. I couldn't do it yet. I don't think so. I was waiting. But I'm thinking about applying. Now that doesn't mean anybody would ever pick me to be on the show because, like I said, so you know how many people apply yeah. to be on that show? So many people. I I think what I think the sleeping and the the like not being able to get clean 
Yes. I think that is the piece that yes. I would have the hardest time. And you with. talk about vanity, you just have to let all that go. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just let, yeah. Uh, you've seen my hair. I could do it. <laughs> well, you get what those little buffs. You, know, you would have your, the little buff all up in your hair. I'm and just be, telling you, it would be a rough. Be the whole time. It, it would be. It would not be cute. It would be rough. Well, I, I enjoyed watching him. Oh, my it was gosh. So I fun. loved watching <laughs> so him. It was so fun. Yeah, because I kept thinking about, we danced with him at Kim's wedding. <laughs> 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 I know. It's awesome. Yep. Kim, I have to ask you a question really quickly. Do you know your Enneagram number? Have you heard of this? I've heard of this, but I don't know my Enneagram number. This is like a new thing. Like, I've just started hearing about this, but I don't even, you have to explain. It's, it tells me about my personality type, right? About It's my favorite thing in the world, and then I got them on board Completely. So is this something we can do quickly, or is it a hard thing? Is it like a scientific formula that I need to figure no, out? No, it's, it's, it's a test. It's I'll have Melissa send it to you, just out of curiosity. Okay, okay. Yeah. what would you guess that I am? I don't know. I was, the competitive thing... Did that could, throw you off? Does that throw you off? <laughs> a little off? bit, because at first I would think that you might be a three like Chelsea... I'm very like, like warm and loving, but but don't get my way when it's a challenge. Though I'm like ready to go. I'm like it's funny. But I think when we heard you speak um, a couple months ago, you talked about how because I think success does success drive you. Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay, just kidding. Never mind. You said something about. I said success. I seek significance, not achievements. Okay. I, th- I think I think you made a statement about being an achiever or achievements in I was your always, life. Yes, I was always like achieve, achieve, achieve. And then when you know I went through some personal drama in my life, and I was like, why do you do the things you do? And so I decided no longer did I want to seek achievements. I wanted to seek significance. Mm-hmm. And significance is a different way of looking at the world. You know, achievements are about getting something, but significance it's about being something. Mm-hmm. So significance is you know the school to affect as many educators as possible. Then globally, you affect as many students. That's my way to try to seek significance like I'm always trying to think of what is the ripple effect what is the exponential effect of how I could use my purpose in this world to to do things for others did that change your whole life it changed um worrying about the whole perfectionism thing yeah because I I was like that that whole like I got to do I got to do this I got to do this I got to do this if I do this if I don't do this I let somebody down but is it really significant yeah is it really significant like here's the thing um Five hours from now, five days from now, five weeks from now, five hours from now, you know, like, I mean, five years from now, will this matter? Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't, first of all, it helps you get over stuff, right? Mm-hmm. If something's yeah, upsetting sure. you, I'm like, you know mm-hmm. what, five days from now, I'm not even going to know why in the world I was crying about this. Yeah. So, um, but five years from now, oh, that's going to be something that's important. So it, it does, it kind of, it helps you figure out those priorities because like we said, you know, you've got that balance you're trying mm-hmm. to achieve, helps you figure out those priorities. That's pretty amazing. And that's such an intentional way of looking at things. Yes. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And, and it does help, as Chelsea was saying, with that whole no, yes, mm-hmm. no. Um, really understanding that this is going to be something that's going to have a bigger impact. This is something, is my time is better served doing this. Not that this isn't important over here, not that, that, you know, that that's not something that's valuable, but if I have to choose, I'm going to try to choose the path of significance. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love that so much. I want to write that down. I'm going to like frame that and put it on my desk. <laughs> so, I, so I see it every day. <laughs> I could. I might. Um, okay. I, you've written two books. And yes. I think you like dropped a minute ago that you've written a third. Is there I a third have. one I've written coming? a third book that's coming out. Um, we think it's the second week in June. That's I'm waiting amazing. for the, the release date. I loved the first two. So oh, thank you. So I'm excited to this read another one. This one's kind of the, the, the lowdown on my life. Is it? Yes. Oh, I, oh, I so juicy. Um, so this is called, it's called Fight Song. 
Oh, and it's six steps to passion, power, peace, and purpose. Yeah, I love that. And it's more, um, I don't want to say it's a memoir, but it's got, it's got pieces of my life, my whole journey, my story, but then interspersed, it's like, okay, so this was what happened. So here's what you take away from that. Like Mm -hmm. the, you know, seeking significance. You know, there's, there's a lot of things like that I learned through trauma and through challenges, just like we all have a story. And so I tell the story, pretty much expose myself a lot in this book, um, the deep, dark secrets. And, and, but in it, it's trying to be used as a tool to help other people to understand. Like if you are, you know, if you're on that floor of your closet and you're sobbing your eyes out and you don't really want to get up and go anywhere and you don't know how to go on, what do you do? How do you even begin to dig deep? Where do you even start? How do you even take that first step? I mean, it's a book like that. It's not just for people who are that broken. It's just a book because all of us, you know, we have days where we're just like, I just... I'm overworked. I'm overwhelmed. I mean, that's really naturally, we are four women. We got together and the first thing that we gravitate toward are how do we do all this? Um, I think it's a universal thing that, that women, and I'm assuming men too, but I don't, since I'm not one, I don't know. But I know when I get together with groups of women, we're always like, I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. I don't feel like I'm doing anything well. You know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm never, you know, I, I want to be good at work. I want to be a good mom. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good daughter. You know, how do we do all of that? And so this book seeks to give people tools to be able to do that. I wow. That. I cannot wait to read that. I cannot wait. I think that'll be... Um, a wonderful tool for people because I know your first two books have been more, um, I think, speak to teachers yeah. in the classroom and applicable in that way. But this is this something one's that... really not just for teachers. No. And yeah. I think it sort of speaks to that, um, the soul piece yes. of what we were just talking about, um, the soul care that you can read and, um, you know, glean those things that will help you, you know, just be on a path of, you know wellness or you Mm -hmm. know betterment for yourself in the classroom and who you are Mm -hmm. so that's exciting I like that well what's the writing process like for you I mean you know thinking I mean I know you're an English teacher you know by career right um I you know like do you model the things that you you know that thought process and things like that like how do you fit it into your day is it little snippets does it take forever it's hard I can't just say oh an hour at four from four to five or you know six to seven every day I'm gonna write it doesn't work that way yeah. for me I wish that it could um but it doesn't it's um I'm one of those people I do like in the middle of the night I'll wake up with an idea <gasps> and then like I have to jot it down <laughs> mm-hmm, so I do yeah. have like a little notebook that when yeah. I'm in the process of writing something I'll, or I'll put it in my phone really quickly if like I have an idea um the hardest part of writing a book is the structure of writing the book. So the very first book I wrote, Crash Course, it was published for Simon, by Simon Schuster. It was a great exercise for me because I had this great editor who, who really showed me that. It's like you may have a thousand stories to tell, but you got to put them in some kind of a structure so yeah. people were, you know, it has to make sense to other people. Um, and that was hard too because it was kind of like, I guess Ron prepped me for that because you'd write all these stories. You're like, this is my favorite story. And they're like, nope, that's, 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 we're going to cut that. We don't like that story. I'm like, oh my gosh. But um, now I've, I've used Dave Burgess Publishing for my last book and this book. And I like that. I actually have a lot more um, voice over the creative process, like mm-hmm. what I want in the book. Um, and so it's been a really positive experience. But I've had to, um, with both, every book, I've had to take, sometimes like I do a staycation. I've had to actually go check myself in a mm-hmm. hotel. And when it gets down to the point where like, like I have to get a lot done. And because if I'm in the house, I'll be sitting there writing. And then I look and go, oh, I got to go do that laundry. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to say my dog cute. I'm going to go play my dog. <laughs> yeah. What are the boys doing? Like, it's just like, I keep, I can't the stay. Yeah. The interruptions. Mm-hmm. And then I, I create interruptions. But if you lock me in a hotel for three days, it's the best thing you can do to me. Yeah. Cause I just sit right there literally with my sweatpants on and my ponytail and I just write nonstop. 
So that's what I had to do for this one. A couple of times I had to go like just totally remove myself from everybody yeah. um, to get the meat of it done. And then the rest of it kind of comes along. So does it get written out of order? Like you just like write things and then you rearrange it and put it. For me, actually, the first book was completely out of order. Okay. Now, because I understand how that was such a hard process, because like I had all these stories, I literally had a whole floor with everything, and then I was trying to group things together and move them. The last, this book, um, and this book and the book I wrote right before talked to me, I wrote those in order. Well, the most of it. Like yeah. I wrote the, the basic outline, and then I went back and added to every single yeah. chapter. Yeah. And that kind of worked better for me. But, um, but the book, even though here's the other interesting part of this one, because it does tell stories from my personal life, the order in which things happen always aren't the best way to teach you something. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure out how do I have like flashbacks where the reader understands that that was in the past, but it, this happened after that, but maybe this happened before that, right? So I had to put, when there's ever a flashback, I actually put the year. So it'll say like 1998, and then it has what happened. And then, you know, 2000, so you know, okay, and then it comes brings you back into the present. So that makes sense. I had to play around with it a little bit. That's cool. I often think about writing a book. I don't know what I'd write about, but I can't even imagine like where you start. I can't even, I can't even imagine about, I can't you just have to start with an idea. I, I guess. So I don't even have that yet. So <laughs> I always say I'm going to write one. When I retire, I'm going to write a book about teaching middle school. That's what I'm going to write a book oh, about. Yeah, <laughs> I think the thing is the, the biggest question you, if you want to write a book, well, nonfiction book, fiction book, you just got to let your imagination run wild. I, I would like to do that one day, but I don't have a great story in my head that I, you know, same thing, maybe how you feel about nonfiction, but nonfiction, you have to figure out these are great stories, but what, how could somebody benefit from reading that? Right. So Listen, that's the big question. My friend, I have a friend who wants me to write a book about dating and call it That Could Have Gone Better. <laughs> See, that's great, though. Yeah. That would be a great book. It would be, but I don't even... I <laughs> love that. I think that would... <laughs> the title alone, yeah. I would buy that book, even though I'm not dating, just because that's fantastic. Well, thanks. Am You're I just not ready to put that out there yet? No, I'm not. I'll, uh, I'll you let see, you know. And you could teach me. You could do it in a funny way because you're so funny to me. Like, you mm. could tell these stories and it'd be funny, oh, but then there'd Lord. be, like, some truths that they take away from stories. it. I have some stories. I can tell you that. We'll talk about those All right, that's your later. book. Okay, I'm ready for it. I think that's her book. You have so much material. and this is. All the things that people aren't talking about. I know. I think that would be received so well. There's your book right yeah, there. That's true. I, I fully endorse that one. Well, thank you. I'll, it's a great title. Listen, hey, I'm going to let you write your forward. I will. I'll write your forward. I'm, I'm there, there you for you. Which, whatever you okay. need. Okay, good. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, Kim, I know we have to let you go. This, you are, um, I get like weirdly emotional when I talk about you because I, you changed my whole life. Oh, Melissa. <laughs> I, Kim hired, for those, most people I guess probably don't know this, but Kim was the principal and she hired me. And you took a chance on a 22-year-old, just really naive, really young, really had no clue what I was doing. I just loved you instantly, though. Well, thank you. I loved you instantly, too. But um, you probably don't even remember this, but... So we only worked together one year, actually, and then you came with Ron to start this, and I stayed. But you were so good to continue to talk to me, and when I would have problems, or when I had questions, or I mean, you were just you were just so great. And you probably don't remember this story, but I'll never forget it. That my second year was by far the hardest year that I had, and I had a group of parents that was really coming after me hard. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I just. I wasn't enough, period. And I remember being on the phone. I remember where I was when we had this conversation. 
because I, w- I was like, I think I'm done. I don't think I can do this job. And you said to me, you can quit, but not today. And I, I said, oh, okay. And you said, <laughs> yeah, not today. And that is a direct quote. And I didn't quit that day, and I didn't quit the next day, and 15 years later, I still haven't quit. <laughs> and I've wanted to several times, but, but you essentially, what you taught me and what you went on to say was there's always going to be a parent. There's always going to be somebody or somebody, something driving you crazy that makes this job really hard, because I think this job is a lot harder than people know, right. and that, frankly, most people give us credit for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think this job is very hard, and it's great. And a lot of days it's awesome, but some days it'll, it'll cut you out at the knees mm-hmm. sometimes. And I didn't quit because you said, no, not today. <laughs> no. And, and I've never, ever, ever forgotten it. Well, I'm so glad I told you that. I'm so <laughs> glad you stayed. I'm so glad you listened to me on that one. <laughs> I did. I listened and it meant the world to me. And... Think you about the all the children you have affected in all mm-hmm. these years since. So. Oh my gosh, kids love her. I know kids they do. I know love they her. do. Well, thank you. But that wasn't meant for it to be to me about me. But what? But that was such a profound and really honestly pivotal moment because I was ready to be done. I thought, I can't do this job. <laughs> I can't do it. And you reminded me that I could. And important for a lot of teachers I feel like I think that's why the teacher the turnaround rate is so high yeah. the first few years they all need Kim to be their mentor yeah. teacher I, <laughs> I, I mean but they, I think they do need somebody in their life to say I mean I feel like when you go into education you see the snippets in the movies where like I'm gonna change you know I'm gonna go into this and everything's gonna change and every day is gonna be great and there are really hard days, like days where you, you know, like you can barely sleep at night because you're just thinking of the 10,000 things that went wrong or mm-hmm. a parent or, you know, something that, that could have gone better. And I feel like you need somebody in your life to say, you know, it does, it is going to turn around. There are going to be just as many better days than there are, you know, the, the bad ones. One of the things that I've learned, and it took a while to get here because I'm, I was very thin skinned too. When I was younger, I would get, you know, things would really, really hurt me. And what I've realized is that you have to always take into consideration that there's always more to the story. And sometimes people are cruel, they're unkind, they're, they have unrealistic expectations, they're selfish, they're all those things, and that doesn't make it okay. But if you realize, mm, at the end of the day, this really isn't about me. This is about this person has trauma in their life, or this person is, um, this person is experiencing pain, or this, and I am just a target. It's not fair. It's not fair that you're the target. But when you realize that sometimes it, it, it helps you understand there's nothing wrong with you, right? Now, now if, there's some, if we do something, you have to take, you know, say, you know what? I could have done that better. Mm-hmm. I have to take responsibility. But a lot of times those things I think where teachers get so hurt is where if a parent does say something or comes at them and you just, it just feels, it just devastates you. You can get 20 parents saying you're phenomenal and one parent says something wrong. And that's all you think about. It's all you can oh, obsess it'll, about. Oh, it'll, it'll, it'll keep me up for weeks. For weeks. I, I'll stew over it for weeks. And I, what I've learned too, parents sometimes are so blinded by their love for their children that, that we lose rational thought sometimes. Um, and you can see crazy in other parents, but you can never see it in yourself. Um, <laughs> and seriously. And, and, um, and so understanding that, you know what, that parent is operating from a place of fear because they're afraid their child won't be successful or that parent's operating from a place of pain because they were taught that that's how you handle conflict or that parent's operating. When I realized that, then I'm like, okay, then it helps me be able to handle the situation calmly, you know, and be able to have that conversation with them calmly without me getting so emotional and so hurt by it. And so, um, 
it's not fair that someone would be unkind to you. But if you realize, okay, this really isn't about me. It's about some of the things that they're going through. And you take that into consideration. A lot of times that does help you to temper the situation. And so you do go to sleep at night. You don't wear it so heavily. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why good to this point about having good mentorship and a, you know, if you're a, a new, a brand new to education or new to a school, you know, understanding the culture and community and dynamics and having good people around you is so important because, you know, your college degree and those courses and methods and everything else prepare you for content strategies, but the real experience, the hard stuff, Mm -hmm. the kids and their home lives and their struggles and things like that. That is just, you know, boots on the ground type of stuff. And only experience, um, you know, can help you through some of those things. So having really just solid mentorship around you to help you just maintain perspective. Right. Right. It's just super important. Yeah. You taught me how to email parents. You probably see this as stuff you... Don't remember. You've probably taught a thousand well, in, teachers. So not, not to give a shameless plug for my book, but the book Talk to Me, that's really all about how you communicate with people. Yeah. It's talk to me, find the right words to inspire, encourage, and get things done. But the whole book is about emails to parents, conferences, parents. How do you have conferences? Not just with parents, just other human beings. Yeah. Like, how do you come to the table and have conversations? Yeah. Because, but I didn't know I taught because, you how to email yeah, parents. That's interesting. I, I mean, I, I've I forgotten can, it, to be honest. But Well, of course you have. But the because you don't learn that kind of stuff in school. Nobody, te- no, there is not a single college class that teaches you how to communicate with parents. Not right. one. At least right. there sure wasn't when I was in school. Maybe somebody has wise, wise, that's not a word, gotten wise to that and mm-hmm. is teaching educators how to communicate better. But I remember, I remember the student. I'll tell you when we stop recording. I'll tell you. <laughs> the I remember the parent that I was emailing and, and I said, can you help me? And you said, yeah, let me show you how to do this. And you... And then for like that whole year, I would often bring you emails and say, will you read this? And we still, still oftentimes I will take an email to Chelsea or Sam or any of our other colleagues and say, just put another set of eyes on this Mm -hmm. for me. Just look at this and make sure that the tone is what you intend. Make sure the tone is correct and that I'm, there's not too much emotion, whatever it is. But I often have someone else look at an email I don't think you ever outgrow that. I that's think a good no. advice. I, yeah. I think that I think that's good practice, and that's just smart. That's just wise to mm-hmm. to do. Anyway, I, I could talk to you. I could sit here for hours. Okay, wait, <laughs> I have one more question. Okay, okay, go. This is something that we did originally with the podcast, um, and it was just a fun little closing question. But knowing what you know now and all of your experiences, and you have been a middle schooler, you have taught middle schooler, you're a administrator over a school of primarily middle school kids um what would you tell your middle school self now oh my gosh that's a great question i often think about like what would i even like who like which kid would i be like in class you know which kid i'm the nerd with the bad hair (laughs) (laughs) your hair's fabulous now you learned to tame hair is beautiful your hair is beautiful that's because somebody taught me she has if those of y'all know she has the most beautiful curls like there's these big yeah. huge luscious yeah. curls and yeah. I think they're fantastic because I don't have a curl on my head well, so I love you. your hair that's because somebody taught me in night it took this is embarrassing it took until ninth grade and somebody on I was on a church retreat and she finally like took me and said I'm gonna teach you how to do your hair and that talk about somebody who changed my life 
She she really did, and she taught me how to do it. So That's now right. I understand you have to use products, yes. things I didn't know before. <laughs> anyway, this isn't about me, but I would she be has the fantastic weird, hair. So I would be the weird me. dorky kid with the bad hair in middle school. <laughs> I think that um, I think it is back to I was very thin skinned. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always more concerned about what other people thought of me than what I thought of me, and so I think that I would tell myself, Kim, you know, not to see yourself through other people's eyes, but see yourself first through God's eyes and see yourself um, for who you are on the inside, not what other people project. And so I think we, it's still a lesson for being an adult mm-hmm. too. We're so worried about what other people think of us and yeah. instead of what we know we are on the inside. Um, and along with that goes, you know, don't let other people control your emotions. Um, you know, when you, when people hurt you or people upset you, um, if you let, if you wear that, you're basically giving them even more power. You're giving them all the yeah. power of your happiness, your joy, your peace, your purpose. And so I would say not to let myself do that so much. I think I spent a lot of my life early on really just trying to make everybody happy. And it wasn't always in the best way. I mean, I want to now make people happy, but I do it in a way I know that's a healthy way, not by changing who I am to try to conform to what they want me to be. I think she's an Enneagram 3. It's my bet. <laughs> right now I have to find it. Yes. I'll send you the test later. That's going my guess. Oh, yeah. He might be. All right. He I'll make him be. take it if you send it to me. I'll All make right. it. I'll yeah. Send it. Thank yeah. you so much for being on with us. Oh, y'all are lovely. Thank you. Thank um, you for taking me down memory lane a little yes, bit there, too. You're welcome. I love you so much. I love you, too. You are as genuine and sincere and authentic and fabulous as you always have been and... It means the world to all of us, but me in particular, that you're here (laughs) and that you're doing what you're doing and that you are who you are. I don't have any, I don't have the words to say how, um, how much I love you and how incredible I think you are. You're such a blessing. You make me cry here on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, um, I mean it. I love you you a lot. Thank you for coming and doing this with us today. Anytime. Anytime. Maybe maybe do it again when your new book comes out. Okay, oh, let's do it. Great. To talk, we didn't get into your personal life at all today. I know so. we could. That could be a whole other podcast. That's what I'm saying. Okay, okay. so we'll here's do a it. cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, Kim. Thank, okay. you. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.